Hey, what's going on, y'all? Sean here, host of the Sensibly Cynical Podcast. Today, I will be joined by country singer Michael King. I was so excited and stoked to have him on the podcast. Um, he is a down-to-earth guy, um, has you know been through the ups and downs of the country music scene, and this is a really amazing interview, so I'm excited to share it with you guys. Okay. Here it is, my interview with Michael Ken. And with me on the line, he is a country singer and songwriter, Mr. Michael Ken. What's going on, man? Not much. You doing all right? Doing good, man. I got my decaf coffee, you know, so I'm good to go. It says here your first album was in 2005. So yeah. talk about mm-hmm. your journey to that album and beyond. Well, before that album, I'd, uh, I've been playing music, you know, not really taking it serious. And, uh... I had a cousin that was, um, that we were little brothers, and long story short, he passed away from the aneurysm, and uh, he pushed me for many years in music, and uh, until, you know, he passed away, I really didn't open my eyes up to the music being something that I could actually make a living doing, that people would actually listen to me, you know, so uh, when he passed away, I wrote my first song, Living on Borrowed Time. And I wrote a song called Fly On that was on that album, which is dedicated to his life. And uh, I just started writing all these songs, and they just poured out. And mm-hmm. I've run into sponsors. Uh, sponsors come along. I was playing, like, uh, me and a friend of mine, a guy they called Song Bear. And uh, we were playing little, you know, bistros and places like that, anywhere people listen to us, basically. And uh, he had uh, introduced me to a guy named Don Brannick who sponsored the first album. And it was a very expensive album because I'd had a, I'd put a band together, took the band in the studio with me, which was, <laughs> I didn't realize how expensive it got, you know? Mm. Um, studio musicians can get it done in half the time, but you take a band that plays live into the studio, unless they've worked a lot in the recording studio, it's a lot of take, overtaking it. It takes, you know, take another shot of it, you know, keep, uh, you know, keep putting it out and, uh, it took us a long time to get the album done, so it got to be a very expensive venture, but it was special. It was my first album, so, you know, it, uh, it all came together, and I took that album to Nashville. You know, at the time, you know, my songs I, I wrote were kind of long, and, you know, they wasn't, they wasn't for radio time, as they call it. I'm not really big on, you know, three minutes and 42 seconds anyway, but when you're trying to get commercial with music, you got to do that, and uh, I didn't know that at the time. It was a good venture. Uh, I recut one of the songs off of that album for the new album that I just done. So it's um, it's been good though, but uh, it's all a learning experience, you know. Yeah, I hear you. So where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay, and then was it always your dream to be a country singer? No, I actually started out. I thought I was a rock and roll singer. Um, I got into country because um, I was born visually impaired, and. Uh, I'm actually in the state of North Carolina considered legally blind. <laughs> You'd never know if you met me. But I've got a, a eye disease called macrodegeneration, which is 
the juvenile version that I had when I was young was called Star Dots. And uh, it's basically a visual, visual problem where I can't see small print, like with a, you know, read newspaper print without a magnifying glass. Um, I never had a driver's license. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's that kind of visual problem. You know, it's not, I'm not totally blind. I don't swing a cane or anything. I do about right. anything I want to do. But uh, I, there's nothing really has ever held me back. You know, I've always made a way to do what I want to do. That kind of drive, you know, I, I looked into your success and I see here in 2006 you won the showcase, Nashville Music. So talk about that. It was interesting. My daddy got me into it. My daddy started managing me. What happened in between there was I got some opening acts and started working with some acts out of Nashville. Um, Travis Tritt and David Allen Coe and uh, quite a few other ones. And I would open up a concert for them while he was trying to get me in anything in front of anybody. At the time, and he had signed me up for this talent code. I've been in Nashville long enough to know that, that uh, you know, usually it's a, a expensive venture when you get to pass some money. Um, we'll say I'll be diplomatic about it, and uh, <laughs> it, it's it's one of those things. You know, you, you, sometimes people will promise you something, and you know, you spend a lot of money, and it ends up being nothing but lying in their wallet. You know, you, you got me in this contest. I think it was twenty five dollars entry fee and stuff. I was like, Daddy, it's just a gimmick. You know, that was my attitude about it. Uh, poor attitude, I have to admit now. Well, we got in this contest, and there's a lot of good singers in it. And it was a three-day contest. I mean, it was people from Australia there. And I, did, I was like, you know, overwhelmed with it, really. And uh, there was people from Europe, um, all, all over Europe. And then, of course, Nashville people and people all around the United States or some Austin, Texas people that I met. It was kind of cool, so it turned out to be a really good thing. Just being, the, being able to play the Gibson Auditorium in Nashville was a cool thing to do, you know. So I go in there and I, I picked a song. It's kind of an old song, a song called Chiseling and Stone by Burn Gosden. And everybody else is doing the newer country, you know. Mm-hmm. And I picked the older song, done the song, went through the first round, went all the way up to the And so, at the, long story short, at the end of the three days, they were announcing the winners. And, uh, there was a guy named Michael before me coming second place. And they said, Michael, I said, well, it must be me because they hadn't called me out yet. And come find out, I won it. And so that got me a tour in Europe. And I got a to go tour in Europe. And uh, that was a lot of fun. It was really good. Right. And uh, it got me a lot of doors opening over that. But I, I remained an independent artist for years. So the, you know, I don't mention record label names. Oh, no, no, that's fine. I had a major record label contact me, you know, during this a lot of this time. And I kind of didn't like the deal that was handed me. And, mm-hmm. I kind of turned it down. A lot of people thought I was crazy, but, you know, I'd been doing it long enough to know that, you know, you got to be yourself. And uh, and I try to be myself now, you know. What I am is what I am, I tell people, you know. So I can't go and I'm not going to, just for a recording contract, I'm not going to go, you know, wear a clown suit for, you know, a few hours on stage and then go backstage and feel, you know, degraded because I wasn't me and sing songs that wasn't me. You know what I mean? Right, because... In the end, you're, this is your outlet. This is your life. And you don't want to live, you know, something that you're not proud of when it all said and done. You know what I mean? I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. And I, I couldn't be anything but what I am, you know. And and I had friends of mine in Nashville thought I was a complete nut. I mean, they did. They were like, you're crazy. You turn that recording contract down. It's a one-year artist development deal. And I said, look, I said, I know what happens if I don't make the cut. And... With a song that they had given me, I wasn't real pleased with. So 
Um, I couldn't see me. See, the way I am, if I write a song or I sing a song from somebody else, if I don't feel it in my heart and in my soul, and I really, it don't pull me, whether it bring me, if it don't bring me to tears or bring me to have that love emotion or whatever, I'm not going to sing it. I mean, because I believe if I feel it, you're going to feel it when I sing it. And that through the years, you know, I've got uh, about seven albums out on iTunes and uh, everywhere else that I've done over the years. Right. And that being said, when I recorded the new album, I Go Crazy, the very first time I heard the song I Go Crazy by Paul Davis, who wrote the song, I felt it and I believed it. And I believed it was real that people lived this life. So I said, you know, one day I'm going to record this song. And I did. And uh, it's done real well. It's, on, it's like up to 25,000 streams right now on Spotify. So it's done real well. But there again, I believe it. If you don't feel it, People don't believe it if you don't believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't just chunk songs out there that they don't have any dexterity, no texture to them, you know what I mean? Right. I was raised on country. You know, my mom, big fan of Dwight Yoakam, you know, old country. Now, yeah. uh, so talk about the difference between old country and new country. I know that there's, you know, a lot of people that are fans of music in general see that there's a huge difference between the two. Can you explain the, what your thoughts are on the difference between the two? Well, the worst thing that ever happened to country music, in my opinion, is when they took steel guitars and fiddles out of it. Um, I like the older country. I like the, the... What made me want to sing country music in the beginning is because it's real life. It's, that's, at the end of the day, it's real life. I mean, there yeah, there's made-up songs and there's silly songs. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's real life. And... Uh, I just believe that, you know, the bridge between country and the new country and the old country is there. Um, it's just a younger generation singing it, singing about different things, you know? Yeah, I hear you. You know, I I was really big into, I guess, the chicks now, Martina McBride. I was into the women, you know, and of course, as a young as a young boy, I always thought Shania Twain was super hot, you know? <laughs> I, I always thought that, man. I was like, oh, my God, you know? Who were your inspirations musically? I always tell everybody my very first inspiration was the Eagles because um, I, the very first song I learned on guitar to sing and play on guitar was Lion Eyes and the Eagles, which was a heck of a lot of lyrics and a lot of guitar chords, but I, that was the first song I ever played and sang. And in my bedroom, I was used to be afraid to sing in front of anybody. And when mom and daddy come down the hall, I'd stop singing, you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't want them to hear me because I thought, you know, you don't never know what you really sound like. You know, you're just trying to guess, right. you know. And by then, it was really a lot of unsureties. But it was, I would say the Eagles, and um, I like, there's so many people I could name. Like Keith Whitley was my one of my right. biggest country music singers that I was really into because I forgot to tell you, when I, I went to the um, school for the blind, the last couple of years of school, and, and I met Ronnie Millsap there. Um, because he went to the same school that I was at, and he'd come back and meet and come back and see his old teachers, you know. Mm-hmm. And I asked somebody, I said, Ronnie Millsap's out there, and I happened to be playing a guitar on one of the Dolan porches as we stayed in dorms, you know. It's kind of like going to early college, you know. Right. <laughs> and so um, we would, uh, so I went and met Ronnie Millsap, and he talked to me and some kind of music he did. And at the time, I thought I played rock and roll. I was trying to sing Skid Row and all this stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> And so he said, you ought to try some country, you know, because your voice, you could hear it. Now, blind people have this amazing, amazing 
perception of voices. It's always amazed me how talented they could they could hear things, you know, that maybe the normal sighted person won't because they can't see. They're dependent on their eyes. Right. So he told me that, and I went and picked up some Keith Whitley stuff and started doing some Merle Haggard and some of the Wayland stuff, just some of the country and stuff. And I said, you know, I can sing this. I can sing this actually at ease, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I got into it, you know, I was like in it, and I was believing the stories, and so that's what got me into country music. And, yeah. And it, with that being said, you were asking about the new country. There is some good new country out there. <laughs> I just don't. A lot of it, I really don't really dive too heavily in because I feel like a lot of times I'm kind of a multi-genre person. I got some different styles of music in my music, but mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, I'm a country music singer. The next song that I'm recording is uh, Say Hello to Heaven, and uh, it's a very powerful song, and it moves people, and it will move people a lot. And I think that, that life, I think really, it's when you're singing country music, you're singing about life, you're singing about real stuff. You know, um, one of my dearest friends in country music was Earl, Earl Thomas Conley. He taught me a lot. Um, I opened up a concert for him, and he, he gave me a lot of advice. He always tell me, I don't know what they're looking for. He said, but, you know, he said, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be okay. To keep keep doing it. And I did. I got a lot of advice from him. He also told me a couple of times, don't you ever get out here on drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Man, it's going to ruin your life, and it will. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will ruin your career. And, uh, you know, I, I got some, I had good mentors in, in music right. that it seemed like they were in place. It, it was weird because at my most unsure times, we're opening up for really big artists. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, am I going to be accepted? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I really didn't know. And uh, I know that, uh, like, a good, good, real good example was opening up for Travis Tritt. It was a... Uh, the very first concert I opened up for him was in Danville, Virginia at the Carrington Music Pavilion. Um, and it seated probably 10,000 people or more, a, lot, a whole lot of people. And so I go in there and I start, well, I go out there, you know, no experience on one of those stages and, and started playing. And, you know, he actually told me, he said, do other people's music in the front end and then at the end, give them your stuff. Because when I first went out, I thought I was supposed to play my own music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't know it. You know, but when right. I would do an Eagle or a Wayland song, they knew that, you know. Right, you draw them so, in and then you and then you do the back end. I got you. Exactly, yeah, and it works. And it, it's really, and so I learned so much. I had people right in place for me, you know, to help me in the same way in the recording studios. Um, uh, when I started recording in studios, I, after my first album, I learned a lot about studio work and how to work in the studio, which is a total different environment. Do you have any fun stories on the road? I can't really tell you on here. But, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. No, there's been some really fun fun stories. Um, I know when I was in Europe, I can tell you one that's <laughs> kind of funny. We were on the motorway. Um, we were coming out of London. We were going back to Hastings, and uh, Hastings, England. And it was a long trip, and we stopped in like this little, uh, it was like a gas station, a petrol over there, called petrol petro station, and I got some milk and I didn't realize it was bad. And so I drank that milk, you know. It's just something I feel like I needed at the time. Here we are chugging down the road with band and everything. And all of a sudden, it hit my stomach and I started getting sick. It was like just, and they were laughing at me, of course, because they used to pick on me and tell me that badgers were down in the, uh, in between the roads, down in the bottoms down there. It was really funny. So <laughs> there was, uh, yeah, some water interesting stories about it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's fun times. Uh, there were good times and bad times. There was times when we starved to death. And we're out there trying to make it, and trying to get out there and to the next paycheck, basically. Hand to pocket living, you know, it happens most of the time in music anyway. You don't ever go on music and think you're going to be rich one day because um, it don't work that way, you know. There's lots of hands in the pot, and so that. Right. Now, I know you said you have seven albums. Is there a, is there a different differentiality from the ones you started to now, or is it the same kind of vibe to each of them? There's different songs. Like my, that's like my last album. It's got some really uh, pretty, I, I would call it pretty rootsy of what I would do, um, like Let the Good Times Roll and a couple of songs like that, and then they go to more of a pop country sound. You know, so it's uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot of diverse stuff. I've got some stuff that uh, sounds a little bit crossover, you know, crossover into the to the easy rock market and then some other stuff. I've got some that's really, really country. You know, uh, my ex-manager, we did some songwriting together and uh, a fellow named Gene Lemons and uh, we still work together a little bit on occasion, but he, uh, we wrote some pretty interesting stuff. But um, a lot of times, you know, I do all the music and he would help with some of the lyrics. And, you know, we, it just depends. You know, I can definitely tell the difference when I would write with somebody else versus just myself, you know. What was your first big hit? Like the first song that you knew, all right, this is this is definitely going to sell. Um, I, Actually, it was on my first album. I had two of them. I had, uh, well, actually three songs off that album. did pretty good around Nashville. Um. And the end, of, you know, like with getting into songwriting competitions and stuff like that, was uh, "Living on Hard Time" and "Don't Leave Me Out in the Cold" and "Someone in Carolina." Those three songs right there um, kind of let me know that I was on my way. Um, I really wasn't uh, a real established songwriter at the time, but I wrote what I felt, and some of it got a little lengthy. You know, I repeat myself a few times, but there were good ideas. You know, so. Yeah. When I come in, I think the first competition I come in was like number eight in and one in Nashville. And I said, okay, well, I'm in the top 10, so I think this is like, I'm feeling this. It's doing okay. So I just need to learn to write better. And mm-hmm. it's an art to write a song, you know, because I, I write a song to try to get it at under five minutes is really tough to get what you need to say across. Right. Really, it comes with time and wisdom. It comes with a lot of years. It comes with experience. Um, some young people, I've seen people, you take Jackson Brown, one of my heroes in music too. Um, somebody I do a lot of his songs, he wrote this song called this song called These Days. He wrote that when he was 16, and if you listen to the lyrics of it, it's like a 16-year-old wrote this song, you know, but it's because he was an old soul. He got it. He sat around and listened to people, and uh, that's where a lot of it comes. I get my ideas from other people. A lot of times I hear stories. I've got a song called Big Time I got from a man, uh, and older black man telling me a story about everybody he thought was big time. And so I just kind of took off and wrote a song off of that. What's your, uh, like, usual people you travel with? A bunch of people or? No, I've I've been by myself for a long time, and every now and then I'll have a guitar player come with me or uh, another musician to accompany me because, and what had happened with that deal was, I had a full band opening up with David Allen Coe and Confederate Railroad. And uh, in one of the shows, the stage hands, the stage monitor guy and the roadies and stuff on there pulled our band, pulled the drum kit off and uh, thought it was time for us to end. And we had 45 more minutes. So the fiddle player told the head sound engineer and the uh, road manager, 
they were mad because they were thinking we can't get them back on stage now it's all you know we didn't pull it off and my fiddle player pointed to me and told me he can do it by himself and when my friend dave fulton done that um it was actually a door open up because they found out i could go out just me and my guitar and entertain people and they liked it so mm -hmm. so now i i pretty much do all my shows up there now and the, the whole reason being, I have I have people in Nashville that I can call them right now, <laughs> and, and we can we can get together and play just like we play together for every day if I need the thing um, in any time. But it's easier for me to go out by myself and do shows, and I do I do fairly well doing that. So I'm staying with that. Yeah, well, what you do for hobbies? What do you do on your downtime? Um, I like to shoot archery. Um, and I'm into martial arts. Um, I started studying martial arts again. Really? Uh, yeah, I like karate. Shooting nice. pan, shooting pan karate, and uh, yeah, no one can mess with you now once you learn that stuff. <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed. I used to, I used to study it independently, and I started, uh, you know, working through a sensei now online, which is really cool, and it's a really good experience for me. Um, it's good for your mind and your body. It's good exercise, and you know it's just good to balance your whole being. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, I enjoy that. And you know, there's a lot I like to. I'm always learning something. I do chainsaw carving. So, like I said, I tell you, I'm legally blind. I'm not blind like that. I just I can't read small print. You know, right? Read from a long distance. And I'm actually blessed with the eyes that I had because I went to school for the blind with people that were really bad off. And uh, but they're very they are. They inspired me in a lot of ways. All right, so tell me about this new album. Yeah, it, I mean, it was released in March. And uh, last, well, I, I said, yeah, March of last time in the spring. And uh, it's still, it's doing pretty good. It's on Spotify and iTunes called I Go Crazy. And uh, it's a nine-song EP. And uh, that's what we're not promoting right now. And uh, it's uh, it's got some really good music on there, some that I've written and some that other people have written. The title song, I Go Crazy. It was a, it was like a seventies kind of hit, but we made it country. You know, some members of Reba McIntyre's band and uh, a couple of people over the evenings. Uh, it turned out really good. It's a really good album. We're real proud of it. And uh, getting out there and promoting that, my publishing promotional company has been really doing really good by promoting it. Lisa Swift's done a lot of good graphics for the, the social media platforms and that kind of thing. So we're just excited about getting it out there, you know. How long did this take to get to put together? Well, <laughs> it's funny. Two of the songs were older songs that I actually remastered and put on there. Yeah. Um, Let the Good Times Roll and uh, Someone in Carolina. They were songs that I'd written um, some years back, and I thought they'd be a good addition to the album. And uh, me living in North Carolina, you know, Great thing is, I don't have to live in Nashville anymore. Fly there, you know, drive there. I can get there probably about under seven hours. Depends on if I got a good driver. Depends on driver. It's a process. It took about a couple of months, three months, four months to record because I had went down there on two occasions to sing a vocal on a track and got there and walked in. The producer sent me home because I had a cold or starting to get a cold, didn't sound right. So. It was a long process. You gotta look at, you know, when you go to recording. If you're, you're having bad allergies that day or whatever, you can't really you know, put your best foot forward and sing. So you have to wait till you're cleared out. But it was a good, it was a good process and a lot of fun doing the album. So we're excited about it. I've got um, my promoters. I've got a website, michaelkenmusic.com, but it's under construction right now. Again, it's uh, changed uh, people who are handling it. 
and the, the letters have music city city digital media their website and um they put a lot of their artists on there so it's been really good so it's on there and uh, it's on some playlists on spotify it's on my spotify channel and then michael ken i'm at twenty five thousand streams right now so wow it's uh it's been taking off pretty good and i i didn't know you know when i picked that song we were crazy with publishers in a publisher house in nashville they pulled a song that my promoter there at the time and also producer in the studio said you know you gotta do this song this is this is you you know it was a great song i actually worked on the song for a month it was like a wedding song and recorded the song got it almost recorded and the publisher pulled the song on us and they can do that because they own the song we started tossing songs around and they said what song do you feel would be one that would be a hit i said well i've been playing this song from the 70s and i'm going to show this but i go crazy so i played it on guitar in the studio and jeff king from Reba McIntyre's band. He's a guitar player. And Shane Keister, which has done a lot of stuff. Yeah, so played with all bands at one time. And played with band seals. And played with a lot of the old school people. They said, that's a good song. Let's, let's do it. So put it together. So Shane went in there with the keyboards. We started putting down all these beautiful riffs and stuff. But the song, it actually came together. Yeah, do you like to wind down with a beverage, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah. Everybody's done and I'm starting. <laughs> What's your drink of choice? Oh, I just drink beer these days. I'll drink a few beers or something, but uh, you know, I don't know. I don't drink liquor or anything. But I tell you a funny story. You asked me before about uh, and do I have any funny stories on the road? Well, I've got a really good one. I can tell on myself now because it's over and done with. But there was a there was a bar down there at the river there in Nashville, and my daddy and mom would see us play one night, and. Me and the guys were playing with a bartender in there, and I'm not going to tell the name of the bar or the bartender now, but I'll tell you the story. She used to feed me bourbon and cokes, and so I'd be playing, you know, and get food for a set, I'd drink food, and do something, I'm going to drink too. Yeah, I did, because that was our wind-down thing. I never played and drank ever, you know, anywhere else, but this was like the place we could go play. We felt pretty relaxed, you know? Well, I'd go in there, drink, well, I had about four or five, but I'd do it at night, along with the adrenaline and playing. Told me that in the show. I said, "Why did you get an idea?" Because if you think so, <laughs> <laughs> in other words, <laughs> you wasn't on your game drinking. You know, so that was the last time I ever drank. You know, on stage. So, <laughs> yeah. I'll have a few when I get done. I'm moving down. You know? So, Michael, before you go, who, in your opinion, is the greatest country singer of all time? Oh God, man. that's a that's a real uh, good question. Oh man, I'll tell you who I. It, one of the best voices um, who I listen to almost on a daily basis. Um, greatest country singer, I would say probably, in my opinion, there's two of them. Um, it would be George Jones, and then uh, my other one would be Daryl Singletary. He passed away at 47. Um, I think it was in 2019. He had a one heck of a voice, you know. Mm -hmm. But there's so many of them. I mean, I, I, I take a lot from all of them, but uh, they're all inspirations to me, Alan Jackson, all of them. All right, man. Well, social media, what do you got to promote? Well, we got me up, Michael Ken on Facebook and uh, um, official Michael Ken on Twitter. And uh, it's official Michael Ken on Instagram. You can find me there. And I have a LinkedIn page. I don't go to it, I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> enough. And I'm on ReverbNation.com under Michael Ken. So I'm a little bit everywhere. All right, Michael. Well, I appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. And uh, keep me updated with uh, with everything you got going on, okay? Maybe we can come back and uh, catch up. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll do that. I appreciate you having me. All right, man. Have a good night. You too, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, bye. All right, there you have it. That was my interview with country singer Michael Ken. I would like to thank him once again for coming on the podcast today. Also, I would like to thank you for being a loyal listener of the Sensibly Cynical Podcast. If you could please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, I would be highly, highly appreciative. Also, check us out on Twitter at CynicalSensibly, Instagram SensiblyCynicalPod, and you can check out our Facebook group. Please stay safe, mask up, and take care.